The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I think many of you know that here in California, in Oregon, Washington, and other places in the West here, West Coast, and going up into Canada, and up in the Arctic regions, the tundra, there are fires everywhere. There was a nun at the time of the Buddha named Upachala, and Upachala wrote it. Uh, two verses. I'm going to read the first one now and then the second one later. She wrote, All the world is on fire. All the world is burning. All the world is ablaze. All the world is quaking. So that was 2,500 years ago. And um, here in California we have COVID-19, we have economic disruption for many people, we have, now we have fires, and those are not directly impacted by fires, we have a tremendous amount of smoke that keeps many people indoors. And uh, it's really sad to see the people who can't stay indoors. There are people who do outdoor work, farm workers and construction workers who are just continuing to work when these kinds of terrible conditions, unhealthy conditions. And, um, but you know, this world on fire has been going on for a long time, in the time of the Buddha. And, um, and Pachala writes, all the world is quaking. Some people are beginning to wonder if the next big earthquake in California will come now as well, just to kind of, you know, just add to the complication of it all. And to think that way maybe it also comes from fear and uh, from weariness, from just, some people are exhausted by the, all these months of COVID-19 and now all these weeks of fires and it just seems to go on and on. feels like a long winter. And meditation can renew us. Meditation is kind of, at the best, is allow us to start fresh every time we come out of meditation. That we, all the traces, all the dust and soot that's built up in our hearts and the minds, uh, as we go through the day and are worried or stressed or tense or preoccupied, somehow has a chance to clear out to some degree. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to start fresh. Um, start in a sense, in a certain kind of way, start over. Um, maybe not without, not starting over with new responsibilities they carry with us, but the ability to really step out of meditation with fresh eyes and you know, it's like you've gotten a good night's sleep and you're fresh and new, and so that the the continuity of the weariness that, that weighs us down uh, maybe doesn't build up so much because we have this way of refreshing ourselves and. Just like some people do, if they exercise or other things people do that really allows them to refresh, to kind of really shed everything, so it doesn't build and build. In that last meditation, in talking, in focusing on relaxation, some people might feel that uh, or believe uh, 
that um, that's a pretty elementary um, practice in meditation, just to relax. That meditation certainly should be much more profound or have more higher, loftier aspirations or purposes or or insights or experiences than just relaxing. And maybe that's true. But uh, uh, as with a lot of things in Buddhism, uh, it's very important not to overlook the foundation. And we want to have a foundation in place from which we can go maybe develop further. And... um, and uh, so relaxation is one of them. The Buddha taught relaxation. In the English translations of his teachings, they use a more, maybe a more sophisticated term for it. Uh, the English translations uh, talk about tranquility and tranquilizing the body and mind. And, uh, but this comes to the same thing as relaxation, calming. But then, you know, we, we, here we are in this uh, heartbreaking time of so much distress and now with the fires and it's clear that um, there's climate change is escalating much faster than the, than the climate scientists had expected. And that's kind of the, the big surprise. This, this was predicted in the predictive models that climate scientists had. And some of them are saying it just came sooner than they expected. So how do we manage with all this? How do we manage with this beyond just becoming relaxed? Uh, how do we understand it to make sense of it? And some people are looking for understanding. Some people are praying that someone or something will make a difference and help. Some people are just kind of uh, swept up in their fear and their anger and despair. Um, and, um, and, you know, some people don't quite know what to do and they read the news and read the news and just get more and more upset just reading the news. If we go back to the teachings of the Buddha for some guidance on this, I think it's very uh, important to understand that the Buddha um, promotes action. He, he, even though we, many of us in the West, associate med- Buddhism with meditation, when you read the texts of uh, the teachings of the Buddha, you get a strong sense that what he's promoting is action, to be engaged. And, um, and the word for action is kamma, karma, which has different meanings, but over and over again in the text, it simply means action, and he's promoting action. And, um, and uh, he, in fact, uh, he calls himself a, a kamavadin, uh, K-A-M-M-A-V-A-D-I-N which uh, means a teacher of action and um, the um, and he said some interesting things about action uh, as many of you know because I quote it so often um, the Buddha defines a wise person as someone who benefits uh, oneself benefits others benefits self and others and benefits the whole world he also said that wisdom shines through action, or maybe a little bit more precise, sh- wisdom shines through enactment. Bhikkhubodhi translates it as wisdom shines through its manifestation, its enactment. So, um, so you know, Buddhism is often associated with wisdom, but we don't want wisdom is meant for us to act differently, to act in a new way 
in a beneficial way. And, um, and the Dharma is not for people who are inactive. However, sometimes uh, in, uh, in certain Buddhist circles and some meditators get the idea that the goal of Buddhism is to be inactive and, uh, and not to do and not to be engaged and somehow just be... Back in the 1960s, there was a cartoon character called Mr. Natural. You can probably look him up someplace. Um, there was a wonderful cartoon of Mr. Natural just sitting and meditating in the desert for decades, centuries, I guess, just sitting there uh, while whole cities were built around him and then decayed. And he's just sitting there meditating, doing nothing except meditating. Um, and, um, and so this poem by Upachala is one of the th- kind of teachings that maybe could get the idea that maybe you know, inaction is, the, is somehow the goal. And, and here's a, the second half, first half that I read already. All the world is on fire. All the world is burning. All the world is ablaze. All the world is quaking. That which does not quake or blaze, that which to which worldlings do not resort, where there is no place for evil, that is where my mind delights. So where the mind doesn't quake or blaze, where the mind has no fires of greed, hate, and delusion, it doesn't quake in fear, um, it can be interpreted a little bit as a place where the, in the mind where you get quiet and still and safe and centered. Um, and uh, uh, worldlings don't resort there, but meditators do. They take up refuge there. They rest in there. They live there. That is where my mind delights, says Upachala. So here the focus is the world's blazing out there, and I'm taking, I'm resting inside in a place where the mind is still and quiet. So that lends itself to the idea that that's what we're supposed to do, just kind of be Mr. Natural, Mrs. Natural, just sit quietly and let the world do what it, what it does. And there's a powerful story that the tradition tells, or actually it's in the first person, the Buddha tells it, of um, uh, the Buddha's awakening right afterwards. The Buddha was awakened, and the next thing he did was he reflected like this. He had this thought. Um, it's hard to see the truth. It's hard to see the truth of uh, that I discovered with my awakening. Um, it's hard to uh, to experience the stilling of the mind, the relinquishing of attachments, the destruction of craving, and nibbana, nirvana. If I were to teach the Dhamma, if I was to teach the teachings, others would not understand me, and that would be wearying and troublesome for me. And then he had, it says here, uh, thereupon there came upon me spontaneously these verses never heard before. Enough, enough with teaching the Dhamma that even I found hard to reach, for it will never be perceived by those who live in lust and hate. 
Those dyed in lust, wrapped in crave in darkness, will never discern this Dhamma, which goes against the worldly stream, subtle, deep, and difficult to see. Considering thus, my mind inclined to inaction rather than to teaching the Dhamma. So the first, according to this text, the, one of the first things that occurred to the Buddha after he himself experienced awakening was to be to, towards inactivity. It's too difficult to teach people. They won't learn. Might as well just be Mr. Natural and sit there and just practice. And um, luckily for us, or at least for the story, um, the um, it's a, probably a little bit of a myth, this story, uh, because they'll see what happens next. Then the great god Brahma, kind of the ruling god of the chief god of the heavens, knew, recognized what was happening in the Buddha's mind. And he thought to himself, the world will be lost, the world will perish, since the mind of the Buddha inclines to inaction rather than to teaching the Dhamma. So then he went down to, to India and and uh, talked to the Buddha and and uh, asked the Buddha, please teach. And in his request, of the hearing that request, the Buddha then surveyed the world and decided there were indeed people with little dust in their eyes, people who could be taught. And then he started teaching and those teachings then have come down to us now. So here we have this idea of inaction being somehow easy to get confused or easily get pulled into uh, as a result of the kind of the deep peace and subtleness of meditation is something that I think that um, is part of the territory, part of the danger of this meditation tradition itself. And we find people who then uh, succumb to that. But what we see over and over again in the suttas, just like I'm saying that earlier that relaxation is a basis for everything, for the Buddha, in his teachings, over and over again, the basis of his teaching turns out to be action and a particular emphasis to, to engage in, um, in uh, deeds that are good, in good deeds, in ethical deeds, and avoid what's unethical. And that's foundational. And to do that in actions, in speech, in, in body, in speech, and in mind. And he repeats this over and over again in different ways that we should do this. Um, uh, and uh, someone who is uh, a well-practiced monk is someone who avoids uh, doing um, a wrong conduct, harmful conduct in body, speech, and mind, but rather is engaged in beneficial conduct in body, speech, and mind. And it's, it's uh, I can't un- underscore how often the Buddha, one way or the other, will engage in conversation with people where he lays this down as the foundation for everything else that follows. When he engages in uh, inter-religious debates that he did at that time, um, he doesn't uh, re- fall back on philosophy or some ultimate uh, nature of consciousness or ultimate nature of the cosmos or some great metaphysical principle or even experience, he comes back always engaged in these debates 
um, not always, but many times, uh, uh, emphasizing that for him, that what's important is a person not killing, not stealing, not engaging in sexual misconduct, not lying, not having involved in divisive speech, <clears throat> not involved in harsh speech, not involved in pointless speech, that those are important things. <clears throat> and um, and, he, and he, he asks, you know, is your, does your religion have that or do your teachers live that way? And sometimes when he's talking to other practitioners and say, well, my teacher is not quite that, and then that kind of enough for the Buddha to win the debate because that's the foundation, being ethical. And then you build on that, then there is... Um, uh, uh, then there is, you know, then there's the development of practice. And this emphasis on action <clears throat> includes actions of the mind. And from the Buddhist point of view, <clears throat> meditation <clears throat> is a form of action. That uh, meditation is the activity of the mind in a particular way. So in the last meditation, if you did it with us, then uh, the emphasis was on relaxation. That's an activity of the mind, to relax, to relax. If you do loving-kindness, that's an activity of the mind. You bring love to yourself. <clears throat> if you're just uh, practicing, uh, uh, just being mindful and open awareness to what is, that also is a kind of activity of the mind. And um, it might seem like a very simple activity of the mind. It might seem like the activity is just to get out of the way and let awareness just operate. But even to get out of the way to let it operate is an activity of the mind. That <clears throat> that there's, there's always action. Now, part of the reason people are reluctant to pick, even even read the, the teachings of the Buddha and see how much he emphasizes action, is that action can be tiring. Action can. A lot of people have associations with action that comes with tension and striving and pushing and trying to make things different than what they are. But the action the Buddha is uh, going towards is, in meditation, <clears throat> is action that allows us to be peaceful. And being peaceful is not so that we can just have our own inner peace. The, uh, the Buddha talked about how uh, when we're peaceful in our faculties in a, and, and peaceful in our mind, then our actions can be peaceful. If we have ease within, then there's ease in how we act and how we what we do, and um, and this kind of uh, wonderful task of learning how to act and how to be uh, free, how to act free, how to act peacefully, how to act without stress, how to act without tension, is is kind of at the heart of what the Buddha is teaching. So this action, but also it's the actions he promoted actions. They were ethical. In, my, in English, we'd call it ethical. And, um, and we have a, here's a, a quote that makes this clear. The Buddha, the fully enlightened one, relying on the Dhamma, honoring, respecting, venerating the Dhamma, taking the Dhamma as a standard, banner, and authority. So the Buddha really depends on the Dhamma. So the Dhamma can be the truth. But uh, one way to understand the Dhamma is sometimes translated into English as the law. But I think it's a good argument could be made that Dhamma can also mean justice. 
what's just. Occasionally it's translated as righteous. But I think in our modern climate, I think um, uh, justice uh, works quite well. Um, uh, Relying on justice, honoring and respecting and venerating justice, taking the justice as a standard banner and authority, providing just protection, shelter and guard in regard to verbal action, saying such verbal action should be cultivated, such verbal action should not be cultivated. So here, this great, kind of this great hyperbolic kind of beginning of this little teaching um, is a little bit more hyperbolic, you know, how grand this kind of paragraph is, all building up to a simple statement that a parent could tell a child. Uh, uh, you should cultivate, you should develop um, uh, certain kinds of speech, and you should avoid other kinds of speech. For the Buddha, it was to cultivate speech which was beneficial, ethically beneficial, to avoid that which is harmful, unethical speech. He said the same thing, exactly the same pa- paragraph is said around <clears throat> uh, verbal, um, uh, physical contact uh, uh, actions, what you do with your body, and also with the mind. So here we see that the Buddha decided to teach, and one of those strong things he's taught was action that certain kinds of way of acting in the world. Here's another uh, teaching that, um, talking about action. Again, also, this one also kind of has a little bit of a grand beginning to get our attention, perhaps. Possessing, um, sorry, a well, a a bhikkhu, a monastic, is acting for the welfare of many people, for the happiness of many people, for the good, welfare, and happiness of many people, of devas and human beings, by encouraging them to be concordant, to be in harmony, uh, encourages them in concordant or harmonious bodily action. The word is action. Concordant in verbal action, concordant in mental actions. Possessing these three things, a well-known monastic is acting for the welfare of many people, for the happiness of many people, for the good, the welfare, and happiness of many people, of devas and human beings. So here again, we find explicit encouragement to um, to um, not only be act ethically, but also to encourage others to be ethical. And uh, this, I think, this ethical action, I think, in the climate of our society in the United States today, is like relaxation. It's like foundational. We should. I mean, it seems like uh, this country, the, the huge arguments and the divisiveness in the country. You would think that they could be. They could somehow find their way if everyone can decide to be ethical to not cause harm. But there's a whole, there's an ethical challenge this country is facing in all kinds of directions and all sides. But this idea that Buddhists would act um, uh, in the world is also uh, provided with this teachings of the Buddha. And it could be for other ethical behavior, but I choose the one for speech because that's such a big one in our society. Uh, a practitioner, 
reflects, thinks this way. If someone were to damage my welfare with false speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to me. Now, if I were to damage the welfare of another with false speech, that would not be pleasing and agreeable to the other either. What is displeasing and disagreeable to me is displeasing and disagreeable to the other too. How can I inflict upon another what is displeasing and disagreeable to me? Having reflected thus, the person abstains from false speech and exhorts others to abstain from false speech and speaks in praise of abstinence from false speech. <clears throat> so here is a the Buddha is encouraging not just being ethical oneself, but to speak up, to speak up, to act speaking up for right speech and to avoidance of false speech. In the rest of this teaching, to speak up for um, uh, the benefits, the praising, not taking, not stealing, not taking from others what is not given and avoiding doing so, not killing, and avoiding killing. So the action. So the Buddhist teachings is phenomenally centered on action. It's surprising how much. And uh, so if <clears throat> you, uh, you are despairing or afraid or angry, upset, if you find yourself complaining a lot, if you find yourself just drawn to the news, <clears throat> and just despair and feel ground down by the by the ongoing onslaught of challenges this world has. The Buddhist proposal for you is that you should do something. You should act. Modern psychology says that people when, who do even small acts are much less likely to be depressed, to despair, be discouraged. Do something. Action is at the heart of Buddhist practice. And um, act in ways that are beneficial. Do what you can, even small acts. It can be small acts, you know, make a small financial donations to people who are struggling with a fire, uh, maybe for the uh, Red Cross. Maybe it's uh, bringing a meal to someone who's uh, sheltered in place or someone who cannot go out shopping with the COVID-19, go shopping for them. It could be that you simply make sure your street is a little bit cleaner, <clears throat> picking up the trash. It could be that you send a nice email to someone or a letter uh, talking about how you appreciate them. People like, people are uplifted by being appreciated. <clears throat> and perhaps uh, you talk more often about what you enjoy and what's, what's beautiful and what's pleasant and nice that's happening. There's something very powerful for the heart and the mind for ourselves and others, if we just talk about things which are re- that we really appreciate and enjoy, um, and uh, and if you feel like you're not doing that enough, maybe try it sometimes and just uh, speak kindly, speak with appreciation, and um, and uh, and see what that does to you. Don't sugarcoat things. Don't pretend things are better than they really are. Um, don't avoid the difficulties of the world, but don't get mired in those difficulties. Find some way to empower, enliven, engage your heart so that it is is more uplifted or inspired because it's the uplifted, inspired heart 
that will know how to live ethically. It's the uplifted, inspired, gladdened heart that is in a better place to act in the world beneficially and to act in the world in ways which are not stressful and not under the weight of obligation and duty and responsibility and all this stuff. So we live in a very challenging times. And I believe what the Buddha would say in the, fa- the foundation is do something. Don't, don't just sit. Don't complain. Don't despair. Do something. If you're upset about the elections, get involved in, in getting out the vote. If you're concerned about climate change, uh, uh, um, develop uh, a little network of friends who are lobbying Sacramento or Washington, D.C., or maybe you do cleanup someplace, even in your neighborhood. Uh, support an organization that does supports you know the environment. There's all kinds of things you can do. And um, and with this regard, I, what I, would, I was wanted to tell you a little bit about a um, wonderful thing that happened last week for me. And that is, uh, since I was um, probably a freshman in college, I've had a strong interest in, in, in the environment and um, environmental action, ecology. And I was actually slated to go and become a soil uh, scientist because I wanted to do soil conservation in places where there was a lot of erosion in the world before I got involved in Buddhism. And uh, But all these years I wanted to do something related to the environment. And because I've been involved for many years with training Buddhist chaplains for hospitals and prisons and hospices, um, uh, a little over a year ago I started with Susie Harrington and Kirsten Rudstem a Buddhist eco-chaplaincy program uh, to train people to be eco-chaplains, environmental chaplains. And uh, we graduated the first crop last last week and a year-long, 15-month-long training. And I, I just, you know, so it was a little bit my action to try to bring people into the world. And what was so inspiring was to watch these people who went through the trainings from 22 people um, mature or grow or kind of individual, become more empowered to have projects, to do activities, to try to make a difference in this world in relationship to the non-human world, the natural world, the environmental world. And, um, and, uh, and why I say this is that um, the experience of being with them, because they were actually doing something for the environment, uh, these were people who didn't feel like they were crushed or despairing or angry so much about what was going on. They felt empowered. They were actually doing something. And I've known, I know other people, of, of other people, who are not, don't know what to do and not finding themselves, who, um, some of them are longtime Buddhist practitioners, who, um, because they don't have an avenue to act or feel they should act or can act around this, they're feeling despairing, despairing what's happening now. Some of the inspired Buddhists that I know are uh, these days who are not discouraged, uh, uh, you know, or despairing or crushed by it all, are the ones who are actively involved with uh, um, um, uh, getting out the vote. And uh, yesterday I talked to Jack Cornfield, and and he's completely inspired these days in working hard to get um, get out the vote movements and encouraging other people to do it. And it's quite something. So the point being. 
that there is action, um, and uh, it's at and the point, the primary Dharma point I wanted to make today is um, uh, is um, at the foundation of the Buddha's teachings is the importance of action, and if you remember that. That, I think, will probably give you lots to think about and reflect on and wonder, what's going on here and how does that work? And how does that work with meditation practice? And I still... Uh, so, thank you. I see a couple of the chats here. Um, yeah, the, there's, there's someone mentioned that they didn't see the talk listed. Um, uh, somehow the the calendar listing for the Sunday morning disappeared last night and I we posted it just a little bit before our our, um, our time so probably many people didn't see it and um, and then someone asks about this eco-chaplaincy um, we're starting a new whole new training for it in January and you find information about it at the Sati Center for Buddhist Studies and um, so thank you very much and May your actions be beneficial for yourself and for the world.